Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Well, hello. Well, hello. I wanted to offer you congratulations because you sent me a photograph of your latest culinary creation. And Ed, it looks so good. I, I, I would say it looked professional level. Yes. It did. It was some kind of tofu, asparagus, soy, yeah, that was a shallots. Picture. That was a picture from the New York Times website. Hang on. So you're saying you screen grabbed what it should well, have looked like from pretend- the New York Times? No, I wasn't. I was just sending you the recipe. It's uh, showing. No, I you just sent a photograph. I wasn't pretending that it was my. Well, you weren't being clear that it wasn't yours. You sent oh, a well. photograph of a very appealing looking plate of food without any context. And now you're telling me you, yeah. you stole it from the New York Times. I promise you I wasn't passing it off as mine. So you didn't take a photo of yours so we could compare them side by side? I know, I, I, mine had been eaten or thrown away by this point. I was just kind of reporting into you that things had gone backwards, basically. Well, well you also sent a quote, which yeah. um, if you ever do a, a, a cookbook, yeah. you could use this as the yeah. quote on the front from Justine Thornton, yeah. your wife. It was edible, she said. <laughs> That was her sort of parting shot. That could be the name of your cookbook, Edible. Yeah, I like the pun, but... Anyway, how have you been? I've got a dilemma I wanted to ask you about. Go on. So World Book Day is coming up. Yes. And primary school kids get to go in fancy dress. Yes. As characters from books. Now, Gene has got his heart set on going as Jodie Whittaker as Doctor Who, but... I try to establish as a rule, let's have somebody who was in a book first, not a TV show or a film. That's good. But do you think it is? Or do you think I'm being pedantic? And if he likes Doctor Who books, I should let him go as Jodie Whittaker. Well, it depends how much sort of parental capital do you have to use up in Mm. order to persuade him out of it? I think if I really do some self-examination, 
I'm more worried about what other parents think <laughs> than, than I am about the principle of it. I think I would let it go. I'd go with his instincts. Do you ever wish that, for example, in Parliament, they'd let you dress up for World Book Day? <laughs> no. I don't know about you, but I am not a fancy dress person. I think it's such a shame because I, I don't like fancy dress, but I can just imagine you as lots of different things. I think you would make a good... Uh, Heathcliff, Mothering Heights, because you've got the sort of anti-hero bad boy quality. Ray Romano from Everybody Loves Raymond. Yes, again, we're nudging up against that. I think we should go with somebody from a book, not a TV right, show. Okay. This is the argument. It's just because I once got son. mistaken for Ray Romano mm. from Everybody Loves Raymond. Have I told you that? On an aeroplane. Wow. In America, a, a student said to me, uh, great to meet you. You're Ray Romano, aren't you, from Everybody Loves Raymond? I was like, nope. Oh, you should have gone along with it. You might get upgraded. Um, yeah, okay. Could you? You could go as somebody from. I, I'm thinking. I mean, Das Kapital isn't very big on characters, is it? No. Who would you be? I think I've got quite a hobbity quality to me. Do you, you think do. so? I was going to say that, but I didn't really want to say. It. It's exactly what sprung to mind. What about me and you as um, Arthur Denton, Ford Prefect? Ah, <laughs> oh, that's quite good. Who'd be who though? You'd have to be. Ford Prefect. I think I'd have to be Arthur Dent in the dressing gown. Mm. I've probably got a sort of Arthur Dent-style dressing gown anyway, so we're halfway there. Well, there we go. Next time you get invited to a fancy dress, invite me along and that's what we'll do. I'll bring a towel. Amazing. So, should we talk about what we're talking about? Yeah, well, I'm very excited about this week's episode. I think it came up in conversation in passing and then we had a few people get in touch and say oh that that would make a good episode so we listened to you and we're we're going off the rails well actually going on the rails to talk about trains and in particular international train travel and sleeper services and long distance which of course is important as we think about sustainable travel what's your favorite train journey you've ever done quite like train journeys through europe like to the south of france i did it when daniel was very very young with justine Mm. can i just ask you why haven't they sorted out mobile phone reception on trains I'm glad that they haven't because right. I like being suspended in time. I like the fact oh, that you're right. on a train and you can't really have a conversation or people but that's can't That's not why you. they haven't sorted it out, is it? No, but I think that's why they shouldn't. Right. Why do you do you wish you could talk loudly on a phone on a train? Yeah, probably, I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm breaking the romantic spirit of this episode, so But you are, you are me. but you're somebody who's on trains a lot and you love trains and you love the conversations you've had on trains. In fact, you've talked before I do, about I do, wanting I do, to I do, do a podcast it. about that. Yeah, no, Ed on a train. I I'm I'm really looking forward to this episode. Yeah. So the number of night train services has, has decreased in the last couple of decades, but international train travel is becoming steadily more popular as people try to fly less or see the world in a different way. And we're so excited because I, I think you think about international train travel and straight away you think of, of one website. And we're going to talk to the man behind it, the man in seat 61, Rail Royalty, Mark wow. Smith. Wow. We are also talking to travel writer Manisha Rajesh, who has written yes. a couple of books, one about train travel in India and one about train travel around the world. And she's she's brilliant. Yep. And then something that neither of us have done, whereas I think a lot of people of our generation did, is interrailing, which yeah. continues to go from strength to strength. And we're talking to Jodie Bauer about that. So loads to be cheerful about here. What's your reason to be cheerful, Jeff? Well, Ed, I went caving. Oh, really? 
Well, kind of not really. Um, Eugene was in one of these holiday clubs and they went to a trampoline park and he was so desperate to go back and show it to me that I went with him. And it's not just trampolines, but it's cavings, by which I mean a couple of little plastic tunnels. So he, he led me by the hand to, to go into one of these tunnels with him. And the guy took one look at me and said, oh, I don't think so. And he produced like a hoop which he then tried to fit over my shoulders <laughs> to measure whether you're allowed in the, the caves or not. And it wouldn't fit over my shoulders. And I said, oh, he's a bit nervous about doing it on his own. Could I please go in? And I managed to persuade the guy, some poor trainee. But he said, well, you're doing it at your own risk and I don't want to have to ring the fire brigade. Did you go in? Did you get through? I did, but there was a tunnel that I thought, no way can I get down there. I mean, honestly, Jeff, can I just say, you being stuck in one of these large tunnels, what would they have done, called, called the fire brigade and had to smash open the... I don't know. What, what did they do with um, Augustus Gloop? Did you get literally stuck in it? No, I, 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 I looked at it and thought, there's, there's no way. Oh, so you didn't go into it? No. If he hadn't tried to fit me through this hoop, hubris might have led me down that cave tunnel, but... But was it fun? Yes, but there was nothing dignified about it. I can imagine. How about you? What's your reason to be cheerful? Well, it's actually on a similar theme, which is we went away for a, a couple of days uh, over half term. And uh, can I just say that walking in the countryside, and I, maybe this sounds makes me sound too technological, but it's much more of a pleasure now because the maps you can get are so much better. So you know how that thing where you, when you might go for a, a particular walk and you would go over this field, go over this style – look out for the cows or something and you'd get lost within about 12 seconds mm. but now they've got these brilliant maps yeah i think the, the countryside is so much better now you can stare at a screen while you're there no is no no saying? i knew you were gonna say this but but don't you think don't you like the idea that you kind of know where you're going yes because yes i think particularly with children if they don't quite know where you're going and you think oh it could be this way or it could be that way or are we about to sort of end up you know, in the wrong place? Or do you think I'm being too No, no, I think, of- I think you're completely right. I think the, the fear of somebody coming after you with a blunderbuss, getting yeah. lost, having to navigate by the stars. I'd, I'd much rather have a little blue dot on a phone and be able to work out which direction I should be pointing in. I think I feel slightly screen shamed, if I'm honest. I'm sorry, I would never mean to screen shame you. You're listening to Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. When we decided to do an episode on long-distance train travel, there's one person who I think is clearly at the top of the wish list and we're so thrilled because it came true. We managed to get hold of what you just described as rail royalty, Ed. Definitely. You said your, your wife, Justine, is going to be so excited. Definitely. Uh, we have the, the actual man in Seat 61, founder of the Man in Seat 61 website, Mark Smith. Hello. Hello, and thank you for that build-up. No pressure. But, but I mean, this must happen to you a lot. People must get excited when they realise that you are, in fact, the man in seat 61. Well, it, it does happen occasionally, <laughs> and I meet people on the train, and uh, it's, it's still very strange. <laughs> when did you set it up, Mark? Long time ago, 2001. Wow. Uh, I can't believe we had the internet then. But, wow. uh, yeah, 20 years, over 20 years. What gap did you spot or what need did you identify? Oh, that was that was easy. For me, it's always been really easy to hop on a train to go down from the UK to Italy or Spain or Budapest or wherever. It had become absolutely impossible to find anyone in the commercial world who would tell you how to do it. So I thought I would be subversive and I would put that information online. 
And there was a hunger for us, it turned out. How quickly did it take off? Very quickly. I mean, within a few months. I mean, it started off as one page, got a bit bigger. I answered a question from a woman who turned out to be travel editor of The Guardian. And she said, that's great. You're going to be website the week in the travel section on Saturday. And I thought, hmm, hang on, this isn't a wind up, is it? And I... I opened a copy of The Guardian in the middle of my local waitress, and there it was. My little website started on my home computer as website of the week. So I think I burst out laughing in the middle of waitress, yeah. And what happened then? Well, it's, it has ramped up significantly in recent times, um, from a very small start to, on a good month, about a million visitors a month and it's all over the world it's it's i mean only 30 percent are uk 20 percent north america 10 percent from australia new zealand and a long tail of sort of africa and asia and south america so uh, i get to talk or exchange emails at least with people from all over the world tell us about the man in seat 61 the name Oh, the name. Well, I would treat myself to first class on Eurostar when I was going somewhere special. So London to Marrakesh via Paris and Madrid or London to Nagasaki via Moscow, Vladivostok and Tokyo. I'd start off in, in Eurostar's first class. And I, I hate sitting next to a piece of wall or next to uh, the window with the metal bar across the emergency escape exit. So I thought, I look at the seat plan, find a seat that ticks all the boxes. And guess what? It's seat 61, or it was, in coach 7, 8, 11 or 12. That was on the old Eurostar. So the name was there when I started the site, the man in seat 61. And do you travel around by train a lot yourself? Oh, yes. I mean, <laughs> yes. I've got a young family, so I can't travel around as much as I'd like, but I always manage some trips around. Uh, and because I'm doing stuff for the site, I take loads of photographs and do probably more than any sane person would do in a very short time. But I'm trying to get all the information that I can put on the site that uh, illustrates the journeys, the stations, puts in tips about the scenery or what to do at the station between trains, that sort of thing. What's your favourite station to change at? Amsterdam Central's good. I like Amsterdam Central. The Café Premier Class on Platform 2 is always a good place to hang out and have a beer and uh, give your regards to the cockatoo on the bar. And give us some of your favourite routes across Europe or even even further afield. Oh, how long have we got? Um, Actually... My favourite one is really close to home. It's the Caledonian Sleeper from London, Euston, up to Fort William in the West Highlands, because that's a, a hotel on rails. You go to bed, just speeding away from the big smoke, and you wind up in the beautiful West Highlands, with sort of deer bounding away from the train. But in Europe, I think it will be a toss-up between Switzerland, the Alps, on the Benina Express, the little narrow gauge train that goes from Kerr to Tirano, or for something a little bit more remote and a little bit more edgy, that wonderful line that was only opened in 1976 from Belgrade to Bar in Montenegro. Now that goes right through the mountains of Montenegro and that's, that is absolutely spectacular. Have you got a journey on your bucket list? Well, I want to go to Lhasa in Tibet on the Beijing Lhasa train and that was, that was on the stocks, but they changed the Tibet permit regulations just as we were about to go so that put the kibosh on that so that's that's sort of unfinished business i think and what do you think the trends are mark with issues around sustainability and so on i mean do you think more and more people are turning to long distance train travel they definitely are now when i started the site if someone told me why they wanted to go by train to italy or spain or greece or wherever uh, rather than flying they would typically say 
they had a phobia of flying. Or they were medically restricted, or they just knew they particularly liked trains. And what people tell me now is two things in the same breath. First of all, they are fed up with the airport and airline experience. And secondly, they want to cut their carbon footprint. And it's those two things. And I suspect for this sort of true eco-warrior, it might be 80% emissions and 20% a nicer experience. I expect for the average traveller, it's 80% a nicer experience and 20% cutting your emissions. But it's those two things that go together and those two things seem to be driving it. And what it means is people are willing to travel further by rail before they start looking at flights or they're put another way, they're willing to look at rail for increasingly long distances. How easy is it to get it to work in terms of cost. So you mentioned the sleeper train uh, from London to, to Scotland. I, I went on the one to Inverness with my son last summer and it costs significantly more than if we'd taken a flight. Is there a way that works better if you can take the time to plan in advance and you sort of really go deep on a website like yours? Or is, is that always something you have to balance with train travel at the moment internationally? Well, first of all, long-distance train fares now work pretty much like airfares do. Really cheap if you book in advance, and they're expensive if you turn up at the station and want to go right now. Um, So, for example, you can go from London to Paris or Brussels from £39 each way on Eurostar. You can go from Paris to Milan from €29 each way. So the cheap fares are there if you book in advance and if you book at the right website, which is what I try and help people do. If you go on a sleeper train, it might cost more than the flight, but of course it might have saved you a hotel as well. And also you've got to remember the extra costs of flying, getting to and from the airport, the baggage fees, the fees for this, the fees for that. And you've also got to recognise that the train journey is now part of the experience. So it's a bit of a different mindset. What's your honest view about the state of British trains? We like complaining about our trains. I mean, having worked for British Rail, I know that. I think they're a better network compared to Europe than many people here give credit for. We think the German network's lovely. You talk to a German, they'll complain bitterly about their network. But we have got problems at the moment. Apart from the industrial problems, we've got a management void. We've got no one in charge. We've got a government department. We've got train operators who are no longer franchises. They're just contractors to run trains up and down. And there's this hole in the middle which needs to be filled, whether by Great British Railways, whatever you call it. It's got to be filled by somebody who's got to take control, sort out the network. Now, the perception would be that our trains are also much more costly than European trains. Is that perception correct? Well, if we're talking commuter trains, then I think that governments of all parties over the years have made a different decision in Britain than they've made in Europe. In Europe, they've gone for higher subsidy and lower fares. In Britain, we've gone for lower subsidy and higher fares. On long distance, our fares are as competitive as as Europe apart from those expensive anytime fares that the media like going on about, you know, the £300 return to Manchester. The railways here are ahead of the game, if you like, in discovering exactly what the airlines did, that business travellers are willing to pay quite a lot for immediate departure in, in the peak. So that's different from Europe. But if you book in advance, our fares are as good or better for long distance travel than, say, France or Germany. But there's no doubt about it. We need to reform fares in this country. We've got a massive opportunity now that the revenue has come back to the government it's the government's money when you buy a train ticket now it needs much simpler pricing structure 
And if we want to get people out of the habit of flying and, and into the rail mentality, your mindset that you're talking about, what could be done better? Well, that's absolutely right. I mean, I normally talk about rail travel to Europe, long distance rail travel in Europe, as taking more effort to book but much better when you do it. Air travel is easy to book, but lousy when you do it. What we need to do across Europe is to make the fares and timetable data available much more widely. Train operators tend to have their own separate standalone ticketing systems. They tend to be very precious about who they give data to. It needs to be opened up so that we get more companies Uh, more retailers being able to offer joined up ticketing in one place, in one easy transaction right across Europe. There's no doubt that needs to happen. Now, on the podcast, we have something called the Jeffocracy, uh, which is our utopia where Jeff is the benign dictator. What what would you do if you were in charge, if the man in seat 61 had his own government department? What would you do to make international rail travel easier and potentially cheaper for people? Well, first of all, we'd remove VAT from international train tickets because there are still some countries that do it. I think we'd need to make airlines pay the same duty and tax on their fuel as other forms of transport do. So we level the playing field. And for the trains, I think we need to make sure that that fares and timetable data is shared and made widely available to retailers who want to integrate it and make it easy for people to buy multi-operator, multi-train trips across Europe. So where is this going? I will, with some frequency, read uh, stories about different sleeper routes further afield in Europe that are going to come online uh, in years to come. What, what's happening? What's exciting? Well, we're about to see a new sleeper start on the 26th of May from Brussels and Amsterdam to Berlin. It'll allow you to leave London at three in the afternoon and be in Berlin in time for breakfast next morning, which is, which is great. And they also uh, have plans in an, a year or two's time to extend it to Prague. We're also likely to see a Paris to Berlin and uh, Brussels to Berlin sleeper from Nightjet, the Austrian Railways sleeper service as well, possibly by the end of this year. So things are expanding uh, slowly. We're we're unlikely to see a sleeper from London, but Brussels is becoming a bit of a a sleeper train hub. So take an afternoon Eurostar, have a beer in Brussels, and then you can be in Berlin or Vienna or Prague next morning. Mark Smith, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk now to Manisha Rajesh, who is a journalist and author of Around the World in 80 Trains and Around India in 80 Trains. Manisha, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me on. Let's start with the, with the most obvious. How did your love of train travel start? <laughs> oh, I was working uh, um, at a magazine in London and I got made redundant and I was just thinking about what I could do next. And I'd always wanted to go to India and see it as a tourist. I'd lived there very briefly when I was about nine, just for a couple of years. But I'd never really travelled around in that way that sort of everybody does after university or you have your bucket list travel. And I thought, I want to go and do that. When I did my research, I found that one of the easiest ways to travel would be by train and also one of the cheapest. And I ended up buying this rail pass, um, this amazing, almost like a golden ticket called the Indrail Pass that only foreign tourists get. And it cost me £350 for 90 days. And it included all wow. my sleeper trains, quite a lot of my food. Wow. And throughout this journey, the trains, I mean, for me, they were just a means to an end. It was for me to meet people. I could get from A to B relatively quickly. And by the time I'd got to the end of this trip, I realised that actually the trains had become the, the protagonist in my story. And each train had a different character. They had sort of a trend to it. People knew these trains because of the food. People knew them because of the specific sleeper berths um, or the types of passengers that you got on board. And by the end of this journey, I was just completely in thrall to Indian railways. And it, it came from that. And then after that, I just found myself sort of desperate to get on trains wherever I was on holiday and I would always try and seek out some interesting train routes. And in the end, I decided to just just try and get around the world as far as I could by train from London. So that's how my second book came about. Wow. I'm quite intrigued to hear somebody <laughs> saying nice things about food on trains. Oh, the food. You can get great food on Indian trains. Am I right in thinking, Manisha, Indian trains have almost their own cuisine you you will railway yeah, food absolutely. is wow. a thing so so what what sort of what sort of thing would fall into that category Oh, everything. I mean, I, I actually just went back to India in September to do a sort of 10 years on track around the railways to see how things had changed. And I was really thrilled to see that my favourite train, it's called the Mandovi Express, which goes from Mumbai down to Goa. It's renowned for having the best pantry car on all of Indian railways. And from quite <laughs> literally from the second you get on at 7.30 in the morning, you can hear people hawking up the aisles with um, deep fried samosas they do fresh biryani on board they do what are called chicken lollipops these little things wrapped in tin foil um, and they're absolutely incredible and it's never more than about why don't we have that on British trains well then upper crust wouldn't have anything to do with them <laughs> <laughs> but I mean that is amazing and it's funny when you think of the size of India it's continent sized and the, and the states are you know as diverse or more diverse than the countries in Europe. How, how well does it join up as a railway network? Oh, it's extraordinary. Um, it, when I first set off and I was looking at a map, it, it, I mean, the railway network just looked like embroidery. It, it just filtered out absolutely every nook and cranny you could imagine. There's an actually train called the Himsagar Express, which goes from the Himalayas right down to the southernmost tip of India. And that's about, f I think it's just 
three-day journey, maybe. Wow. I would describe India as a sort of, I mean, the Indian Railways is a microcosm of Indian society because you have eight different classes on board. You have... Eight? You know, eight, yeah. You have sort of occasional politicians up in one end and then you've got fruit sellers sitting on wooden slats at the other end and, and you can walk right through the middle chatting to absolutely everybody. And what's eighth class like? Well, it's general class, which is where you have the barred windows and you've got, you know, people travel with the doors slung open and people sit on the right. steps with a cup of tea. And I love it. It's actually for a day train. That's usually my preferred option because you get lovely views. It's just very laid back. It's very relaxed and you get some brilliant people getting on board. And the one thing about Indian trains is that everyone will talk to you. You're never at a loss for any kind of company. They want to know every single thing about you from whether you're married to what your birthmarks represent. And honestly, Manisha, you've really conjured it yeah. up for us. Honestly, I mean, I just Ed loves talking to people on trains, but you struggle with the idea of a sleeper carriage. I do, but do, are you saying that it was three days non stop on the train, Manisha? Yes, it can be. Yeah. I mean, you can obviously hop off in between if you want to and then get back on the next yeah. day or day after. But yeah, the, the sleeper berths are perfectly comfortable. Um, you get, well, as soon as you get on, you get given this little brown paper bag um, with completely crisp iron sheets and a pillow and your pillowcases and you pull them on and part of the fun is everybody making up their berths together and everyone shares food and it's it's a real it's a bit of a party trip really when i was in turkey there's this, this train that i just took from ankara to cars there's a specific station where everybody rings the kebab shop that's two hours away and they get the kebabs ready and they bring them on board and we did it they turned up with about eight carrier bags of these fantastic kebabs uh, with pudding with salad and with drinks and they leapt on they got paid and then they leapt off again and everyone was very satisfied after that it was awesome <laughs> i really enjoy traveling on trains and and often people say oh i like traveling on trains and you think it's about the scenery or is it nice view outside and maybe it is that but it's much more about the people, isn't it? It's much yes. more about the people you meet. There's something about... I feel like I'm in a bubble when I'm on a train, like I'm, I'm suspended in time. It's just there's something about the nature of the journey. I do know exactly what you mean. You're, you're in a sort of fleeting moment where yeah. while it's going on, you're all part of the same story. And then as soon as yeah. that train ends and you all hop off and go back into your own lives, it ends. But it's always, for me, those journeys are very much... Um, untouchable because those people will always stay the same to me i will always remember those conversations i remember the food that we shared and people stay indelible to me in my head after those journeys some places have absolutely cut off especially traveling through europe that's the one place where i find it quite difficult to chat to people it's the dining car that really brings everything out of people everyone sits in tables together it's very communal you're all there for the same reason you're going from a to b but you you do find that people are much more open they're very friendly people will chat more um, they're also very indiscreet about information because you have a sense, sense of anonymity as well. You know you're going to get off at some point and never see these people again. I was actually just in Turkey. I was actually there during the earthquakes, um, travelling from Istanbul across to Ankara and to cars in the northeast. And, I mean, specifically talking to people after the earthquakes, when we left Ankara, people had family down in the south. People were, you know, you, you could actually see a sort of live cultural disaster taking place on board people people said to us this is normally a really fun really lively train and it's a bit muted at the moment because of what's happened and we're all really concerned and but they just said we have to get on we just have to sort of pull together and and get through this and being on those trains gives you it just gives you a really deep insight into 
a country's sensibilities to their culture, their food, um, their politics. And I don't feel like you get that when you're traveling in any other kind of form of transport. You don't get that intimacy that you get on trains. Um, and I think that is universal it, around the world. It's, it's not specific to any one country. And give us a sense of, of some of the people you met on your journey, particular people who stick in your mind. Oh, I have two or three who um, always come to mind when I think of these trains. Uh, the first was this very sweet war veteran from Boston who was self-named Boston Bobby. I met him on a 10-day on a train journey through North Korea, actually. Um, he'd, he'd come out there because he had had a friend who was actually taken captive at one point during the war. And he had promised this friend that he would go back to the same spot where he was taken captive and take a photograph of it and almost to sort of make peace with everything that had happened. You said, Manisha, that you were travelling 10 days through North Korea, like you made it sound like it was like a sort of thing that people normally did. Well, I I did not know before I started planning this trip that it was actually very possible for tourists to go into North Korea. It is very much presented to you in the way that they want to present it to you and you can't just step off and talk to people. You can't just wander into shops. You have to be chaperoned everywhere you go. But at the same time, you do still get a little insight into what life is like. You can see what the buildings look like. You can see inside people's windows. You can see that there are very few cars on the road unless you're wealthy, you don't have one. Um, Also, when we left Pyongyang, because it's very unusual to actually get taken outside um, the capital city, we could see the different ways people were dressed. It sort of it felt like walking through the eighties all over again, and you you do just still get little interactions. Has it changed the way in which you travel? Because I think many of us now we feel uncomfortable flying a lot. Has it been the case that through writing these books, trains have become your method of travelling for leisure as well as for these journalistic projects? They have. And I I was quite surprised that I've started to get quite uneasy on planes. Um, In fact, (laughs) flying back from Istanbul, I was really tense and didn't really enjoy the flight because I took the train from London um, all the way to Istanbul. It took me about four days. I went from London to Paris, Paris to Vienna, Vienna to Bucharest, Bucharest to Sofia, Sofia to Istanbul. And it was perfectly doable. Um, and And I loved it. And I also had that that lovely sense of actually having feeling of how the landscape is changing, how the food is changing, how the culture is changing just across towards the east. Whereas if I, you know, flying, you just parachute out of one place and land in another and you really don't get a sense of the in-between. And I've started to feel that a lot more when we're going on family holidays. It's, it's really nice being on the train. And we actually did it in December. I took my family through Finland. We took the, it's called the Santa Claus Express um, from Helsinki to Rovaniemi, which is where Finnish Lapland is. And my children are five and three. And they had the best time on board. I mean, my husband and I definitely did as well. How many hours is that? It's a really lovely train. It's 12 hours. You set off at 7.30 at night and you get in at 7.30 in the morning. We got on board. We went straight to the dining car and we had dinner. And then about nine o'clock, we went into our compartment with double bunks. And my, my elder one, who's five, she sat at the window with me for about an hour watching the snowy trees and watching lakes go by and then finally just dozed off. And we woke up at half past seven as we got there. Isn't that amazing? It is. Um, so, OK, where next, Manisha? Where have you not been? I think that might be... We might have run out, we might have <laughs> run out of places. Well, I, I haven't taken any trains in Australia or New Zealand, but I was actually just saying to a friend this morning, I'm struggling a bit with reconciling travelling on trains there and having to fly to get there. I'm not sure I... I can't really justify it, to be honest, but I'd, I'd like to because there's a train called the Garn, 
which runs from Adelaide to Darwin, literally bisects country. And it just looks like the most extraordinary journey. It's got really incredible history too. But we'll see. We'll see what comes with that one. Well, look, you've really inspired us, um, Manisha. <laughs> uh, I think Jeff and Good. I might get the, uh, the, the India Rail Pass and travel around together. Manisha Rajesh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Well, we're, we're really looking forward to this final conversation because yes. it transpires that neither Ed or I have been I interrailing. I mean, I think for clarity's sake, we, we've never had an interrail pass. No. And we've obviously been on European trains across countries and so on, yes? But yes, but it's not the same thing. And we're going to find out more about that now with research analyst from Eurail, Jodie Bauer. Hello. Hello. Nice to meet you. Uh, so what are we missing out on by never having interrailed? Yeah, of course. It's a fantastic experience. And that's what we always say. It's not just moving from A to B, but it's really an experience because we see it as a thing where it's not only learning about new destinations and learning about um, the different countries in Europe, but a lot can happen during these train travels. When you say that, I'm thinking of that film with uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie exactly. Delpy. I don't know if you've seen one of our latest TikTok uh, posts. It was actually about love stories in trains. Some of our customers found their love during interrailing. How did you find them, Jody? Um, we have a yeah a big online community, of course. I don't know if you have it in the UK, but in the Netherlands, you have this old post in the paper where you can post something um, that you met someone in the train and then they try to connect to each other. And yeah, that's also what's happening on our um, Eurail and Interrail community. Wow. Wow. What did we miss out on, Jeff? I know. I know. I'm really feeling that this was... I a... think it's a bit late in life for us <laughs> to do it. No, no, no. You can still do it. <laughs> so it's 50 50th anniversary last year of Interrail. So Correct. T- tell us a bit about it and how and why it all started. So Interrail's older than it you. It is, Jeff. and younger than you. Younger than me, yes. but older than you. Yeah, so uh, 50 years indeed. It started uh, a long time ago as an initiative of uh, 21 uh, railway companies in Europe, actually to celebrate the 50 years of the UIC, International Railway Union in Europe. And the idea was to uh, give youngsters the opportunity to travel within Europe, to learn about Europe, the European values. So it was actually a one-time offer, but then it became so popular, yeah, that they uh, continue it. And yeah, since then, more countries were included, the different type of passes were included. It's a big difference because indeed all ages now can travel with Interrail. And it started only with youngsters. Even the more mature gentlemen like us, Ed. Even us. So, so Jody, give us the sort of facts and figures. How many countries do you now cover? 33 different countries. Wow. Yeah, and more than wow. 35 different railway companies. And also some uh, ferries are included. You can imagine if you want to travel from Italy to Greece, for example. That's fantastic. How much would people pay? Is it for a month or you probably have different times, yeah? Uh, Yes, um, of course, um, there are different validities and also different type of passes. You have the one country passes where you can travel just in one country. Um, But uh, yeah, the bestseller passes are the passes, we call them the global pass. So you can travel in all the countries in Europe and you have them from four-day validities, five-day validities. But the bestsellers are the seven days. So you can travel on seven days in one month. 
But you also have the continuous passes and then you can travel on every day in each month. So how much for the seven days in, in one month travel? So the seven days within, within one month pass, yeah. um, it's 352 euros. I mean, that is incredibly reasonable. Yeah. Especially when you think about what the train prices are like here in the UK. Well, that is incredible. So it's somehow value for money, but that's not the thing that we want to highlight. For us, it's really more about the freedom and flexibility that you have during your travels. And Jody, was there a golden age of Interrail? Now, of course, we're going to come on to now and um, why it's, it's becoming more and more popular. But was was there a period where uh, it, it feels to me like maybe the 80s was, was a real halcyon days for Interrail? Yeah, and by that time, I think it was still um, only for youngsters. Since 1998, uh, it was available for all ages. But what I personally remember is that it was really popular in, let's say, the 90s, because I traveled with my parents. Uh, I was about 10 years old, and we traveled from um, the Netherlands to the south of Europe by train. And I saw all these backpackers in the train without a seat reservations. My family uh, made a, a reservation for a cabin but I saw all these backpackers and I thought wow this is amazing this is something that I really want to experience myself um, so I think it really exploded since then and and how is it changing as people are more mindful of sustainable travel and the climate crisis how is that affecting inter interrailing Yeah, I think last year um, we had a sales record. I think after COVID, of course, I think uh, a lot. We, we see really the momentum for train travel. People are more conscious. If I want to take a flight to Berlin, for example, I can also take the train. I can relax uh, a little bit more. I can walk in the train. From the airport uh, in the Netherlands, uh, you also had some troubles this summer. So then people also think maybe it's, um, yeah, a nice way to travel by train because, um, yeah, you can just go to the station maybe 10 minutes in advance, 15 minutes in advance. Just sit back and relax and you will get to your next destination. Can I ask a really ignorant question? The UK is part of this, yeah? Yes, yeah. Yes, it is. I thought so. It is back in the top 10 uh, countries. Um, it wasn't uh, during COVID because it was a little bit more difficult, I think. But you can take the Eurostar. Jodie, tell us, you said you went into railing, did you? Yes, of course. <laughs> And uh, probably it's a qualification for, for working for Eurail. Uh, what was your experience like? Um, yeah, one I can really recommend is um, a trip in Italy. Um, to see the highlights of Italy, you can easily go from Rome to Venice, uh, to uh, Florence, uh, to Pisa um, in just a single week. Um, but the highlight of the trip was the Cinque Terre. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yes, the yeah. Cinque Terre, yeah. And there you have really uh, small uh, train stations. But the yeah, positive thing of the Interrail Pass is that you already have the pass. So you don't have to wait in line for all these ticket machines on these small stations. You definitely should include Switzerland. So what I also did is from uh, the Netherlands to Germany to Switzerland. And in Switzerland, it doesn't matter which um, season of the year you travel, because in the summer you have the green valleys, you see the top of the mountains. And in the winter you have, of course, um, yeah, the mountains with snow. And you have these really fancy trains. Um, one of them is the Glacier Express. The windows are... 
not only on the side, but also on top of the cabin. So wow. you have a really clear view of everything around you. Wow. And then, of course, from there, you can travel further to the south, to Italy or to Spain. But um, yeah, travel uh, in Switzerland is also in the top uh, three countries where our travelers go with the Interrail Pass. And talk to us about the overnight aspect of this. I'm not so keen on a sleeper train. I did it in the past, um, but not that recently. A group of my colleagues did, and they did it in the, the northern countries, really long trip. But the recommendation was... At first, you need to make the reservation for, for the sleeper train, of course. And then just try to be with your own group of people. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, the sleeper trains, of course, they can be very small and tiny. Of course, it brings you to the destination. You don't have to book a hotel night. Um, so it really depends also a little bit on your personal preferences. I think what Jodie's saying is we, you might end up with Jeff in a, in a carriage. <laughs> you see, I've got a very fond memory of sharing a sleeper compartment with a Finnish family, but now I'm thinking maybe it isn't a fond memory for them <laughs> sharing a compartment with me. They're probably doing their own podcast saying, yeah, we like, let's avoid sleeper trains. We ended up with this bloke. Yeah. The, the night trains are coming back. More and more uh, carriers um, are getting these night trains uh, back on track. So there is an interest for it, for sure. We were talking to Rachel, our producer, who's been into railing and, and loved it and said it was a formative experience, but also said, you know, it was a lot of hostels and um, stocking up on bread rolls from the breakfast buffets. Is, is there a more luxurious version of interrail? Of course. <laughs> we have, of course, uh, the second class passes, but also the first class passes. You pay a little bit more, but then you have access to the first class parts of uh, the trains. Um, if you have the high speed trains, for example, in the south of Europe, you need to pay a little uh, fee for the seat reservation. But then you have yeah, business class seats. You can compare it with that. In the train in Italy, uh, you even get a complimentary glass of cava. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> Oh, of course you do. Can I ask you about the EU initiative for 18-year-olds? I, I believe they've given thousands of 18-year-olds a free interrail pass. Yeah, it was an initiative of the European Union to let 18-year-olds explore Europe, um, learn more about the different countries, the different values the countries have, and give them basically the opportunity to travel around after their school experience because it's available for people who turn 18. And it's a massive success. Um, I think more than 200,000 passes were given away and it's interesting, a new wave is opening up soon, so people can apply again. They just give out passes, what, to, to not to anybody who asks, because they have a limit, a limited number. Yes, they have a limit, uh, you need to subscribe, and then they make um, a, a, a calculation... Exactly. Somehow you need to answer a few uh, questions and then, um, yeah, depending on the size of the country, uh, then they decide how many passes go to each, uh, each country. Is there a family version of the pass? There's not really a family pass, but uh, the advantage of the interrail pass is that um, children under the age of 12 travel for free. So if you are a family and you have um, two young kids, you can bring them along. So that's a big difference when, when flying uh, or taking a car, because uh, then you're really in a small space with your family. Being in the train, you have more freedom also for kids. So it's really a nice experience for them. 
they can walk around. And in the trains, again, in Switzerland, they even have playgrounds. What? Wow. <laughs> what? Yes. I was also surprised about it. In the train? Yeah, in the train. Fantastic. Well, so is your job just great fun, Jodie? What, what do you do in your job? Yeah, I take care of all type of research among our customers. So I speak to our customers a lot and we do that in different ways. What's the thing that surprised you the most about your customers? Anything that surprised you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, we're having this fun and discussion about age a little bit, but I had some interesting conversation with 70 and 80 years old travelers. And it was yeah, so fun and interesting to hear from them that it's not a big deal or hassle for them to travel by train at all. Um, they hop on, they hop off, they use the mobile phone uh, to check in, check out. So that, that mm. was interesting to, to experience. There's hope for us yet, Jeff, I think. That is, that's what it may, this means. <laughs> yes, there's enough time left, yeah. <laughs> yeah, even if we don't get around to it in our 50s. Jodie Bauer, you've really, really inspired us. Uh, Jeff and I might get an interrail pass and hop on the train together. Um, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Well, look, can I say there are some issues we talk about which engage one's policy brain and sometimes they can be quite hard to get the wheels grinding this was just like an emotional pleasure wasn't it wasn't it just wonderful doesn't it just make <laughs> you want to go on a sabbatical and travel around by train it makes you feel totally joyous doesn't it yeah i knew this would appeal to you with your love of talking to strangers on trains yeah when I talked to Mark... Can I just say, once we finished talking to Mark, you then grilled him for about 15 minutes on different journeys you were thinking I about did. taking. And he had an encyclopedic knowledge of timetables. It was unbelievable. But then, you know, I was inspired by Monisha and I was thinking, oh, you know, trip round India, Indian rail pass, and then Jody. And I was thinking, oh, an interrail pass. You know what I mean? Yeah, you could become the next Michael Portillo. Maybe not. Uh, it was interesting to hear the, the difference in picture of the state of the railways in the UK from Mark and Manisha, they had a very yeah. different perspective on yeah. it. Um, also, something we we didn't touch upon is the way that some of these franchises in this country are state operators from other European yeah. countries who seem to yeah. run things a lot better Yeah, uh, that's a good on the home turf. It's interesting talking to Mark about the state of the British train services and then Manisha, because it's a very different perspective, isn't it? It is, although Mark was clear that something's gone wrong with the fares and the pricing and yes. the ways that the timetables are released over here. And I really appreciate what he says about if you're thinking about international long distance train travel, there's there's a different mindset which incorporates making that travel part of the holiday. But at the same time, when I've looked at other holidays, you just go on a flight comparison website and then you look at the rail journey. Yeah, that's a really and good it's point. not just the times, it's it's the the price is prohibitively expensive compared to the budget airlines that a lot of people use. Can, can I make one other point, which is I thought that the Jody's thing about the EU giving thousands of 18-year-olds free interrail buses is such an interesting way of sort of thinking about public policy that you want people to experience other countries, other cultures, isn't it? Oh, Rachel has just sent us a link to the Swiss Playgrounds. I'm looking at it now. This should be our goal. I don't know, the 300th episode, live from a playground on a Swiss train. Look at that little slide, crash mats. I think I might be a hazard for myself and for the other children on the, <laughs> on the slide. But look, we can go and look at the playground on the Swiss trains, can't we? 
You're listening to Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. If you've got thoughts on what you've heard on today's podcast, if you've got some train journeys that you think we should take Jeff and I on our romantic sojourn. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what I'd love to do? What What were those things you'd see in black and white films where people were on, I don't know if it was Laurel and Hardy, but they'd be on a train track and they'd be going along on a little platform where they'd have to pump away at a uh, lever. Yes. You and I on one of those around Europe. <laughs> Not sure. Um, but anyway... You can find us at cheerfulpodcast.com. We love to hear from people, particularly people who say that they like the podcast. This comes from Andy Wells, and it says in the subject line is Jeff's Charlie Heckle confusion. This was last week. I mentioned that some teenagers, as I was riding a bike past them, started shouting, Oi, Charlie! All right, Charlie! And then falling about laughing, and I'm very confused by it. Listening for today's podcast, says Andy, when Jeff mentioned some teenagers shouting Charlie at him, surely they thought he was Charlie Brooker. I've always thought they looked incredibly similar. Love the podcast, by the way. Wow. Well, I think my wife would be um, pleased if I looked more like Charlie Brooker. I sort of think that might be right, actually. Joe, I once had a dream where I read that I got The Guardian on a Monday and opened up the supplement (laughs) to read Charlie Brooker's column. And it was the most scathing eviscerating takedown of me and my radio show and I woke up traumatised and then I thought to myself oh but hang on a minute I... I I created that column in my subconscious. So somewhere in there, I must have the ability to write a column in the style of Charlie Brooker. And I ended up feeling quite good about myself, (laughs) despite all the (laughs) self-loathing. Well, that's quite uh, that's good positive thinking, Jeff. Well Thank done. Thank you. Somebody else suggested on Twitter. They said, um, "Could it be kids calling Jeff a Charlie, like a proper Charlie?" And I, it feels a bit nineteen fifties Ealing comedy, doesn't yeah. it? It doesn't. It feels a bit. Yeah. It feels a bit like the kind of thing I would say. Mm. <laughs> this comes from Alice. Alice van der Bovenkamp, who says, Hi, Ed and Jeff. I enjoyed your podcast on climate change denial. The only thing I felt was missing in the discussion was more considered engagement on the deplatforming stroke misinformation campaign and approach. So I'd like to pitch this for a future podcast. Whilst climate change denialism should certainly be combated, many of the misinformation policies create an environment in which meaningful criticism on related policies and their implications could get stifled. We saw this in the Netherlands, where environmental policies would greatly impact farmers without a prospect of hope or meaningful response. The media initially dismissed their objections as anti-climate change activism by hillbillies. It took a sustained protest effort and serious escalation before politicians and media recognised there was indeed an issue and a conversation to be had. So Alice is saying that too often people are stopped from saying stuff which might be relevant and important and isn't denialism. That's that's interesting. Legitimate voices of dissent. Thanks for that. And Alice also gives us some guest ideas and ways we could go with that. So that's something we can look at. Two emails, not one, but two emails about lasagna. This comes from Lucy Rawcliffe. Dear Jeff and Ed, really enjoyed your latest episode with Carrie Ed Lloyd. If you're looking for a great lasagna recipe, I can highly recommend the Bosch vegan lasagna. Bosch really as in the people del- who make dishwashers? No, Bosch as in the Hieronymus? vegetarian cookbooks. Uh, and not too difficult to make. Though as with all lasagnas, it does take time. And she kindly gives a link. Ooh, lush roast veggie lasagna. Mm. Right. And 
And then... Maybe you could screen grab a photograph of lasagna from that website, Ed, and then pretend mm, it's yours. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, and this comes from Fraser Hunt, Veggie Lasagna Recipe. This is a fantastic veggie lasagna recipe, rated five stars. I have a 500 reviews. I'm vegetarian and my partner isn't. Her favourite meal was lasagna, and this recipe finally satisfied her cravings. Enjoy it, Ed and Jeff. Best wishes, Fraser, a junior doctor in Liverpool. Now, I, I think I used Janet, my friend's recipe, but then I also did draw maybe on a little bit on this BBC one. Uh, maybe it was a different BBC one. Can you just go into a bit more detail? <laughs> <laughs> but look, keep those. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I might make another one soon. So keep those recommendations coming or other things that you think I might be competent to cook. And, you know, if people have any words of encouragement about my tofu experience and all of that, be helpful. Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook or tweet at cheerfulpodcast. Whoa, we're in the outro ho-ho. I've got TV recommendation. Morning show with Jennifer Aniston. Oh, I loved the first series. Oh, you've already... And then I thought it fell off a cliff. I, I, I stopped two episodes into the second series, but I thought the first series was, was good. You're just way ahead of me. It was from a couple of years ago, that, wasn't it? But it's very watchable. Do you want to tell people about it? Maybe people haven't seen it. Well, I've only just actually three quarters of the way into the first episode, but it's a Jennifer Aniston as a uh, morning TV show host, and she seems to be about to be paired up with an, another woman TV host um, who's sort of outspoken host. And Anyway, I've, I'm just in the foothills. Ah. Um, oh, it's, I think that first series is really enjoyable. I'm quite a glutton for these kind of, like... You know, the newsroom, I really loved the newsroom. Do you remember the newsroom, the Aaron Sorkin thing? Drop the Dead Donkey. 30 Rock. Oh, I love 30 Rock. Some of it hasn't aged particularly well, but it's really funny. I think you have to think, okay, well, there was a slightly different humour sensibility 15 years to now, but only only occasionally. The the main performances in it are, are brilliant. Alec Baldwin, Tina Fey. Jane Krakowski and the guy who plays Kenneth, Jack McBrayer, I think his name is. Those those four are just fantastic. Should we thank our guests? We should. I would like to thank Mark Smith, Manisha Rajesh and Jodie Bauer. Emma Corsham is our audio producer. Rachel Content produced all the content. With Rachel Content? Is that what I said? Rachel Content? Yeah, yeah. Rachel Content produced all the content. Rachel Content produced all the barmer. <laughs> it's like Larry Speaks was Ronald Reagan's press secretary. <laughs> Uh, Nominative determinism, yeah, they call exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, Rachel Barmer produced our content, supported by Joe Kenyon at Goldfish. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. Ed Seed Gail composed the music. Is our Lofthouse. <laughs> Ed Music is our seed. seed. Uh, James Ident is our deacon. And our uh, cull is produced by Henry, Henry Artwork. Artwork. <laughs> <laughs> So how do we finish then? He's been Ed co-host. <laughs> I suppose so. He's been Ed co-host. He's been Jeff co-host. And these have been Reasons to be Lloyd. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rustoleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. 
Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.